Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. This episode is sponsored by Handspring Publishing. When I was looking for a publisher for my own Advanced Myofascial Techniques book, I was lucky enough to have two offers, one from a giant international media subsidiary and the other from Handspring, a small publisher up in Scotland, run by four lovely people. And I'm so glad I went with my gut and chose Handspring because not only did they help me make the books that I really wanted to share, but their catalog has emerged since that time as one of the leading collections of professional level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and as they say, all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. Thanks, Handspring. Yes, Handspring has done a great job of expanding offerings for the movement and manual therapy professions. Their author list reads like a who's who for many of the leading thinkers in our fields. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com and browse this excellent catalog. When you find the gems that you must have, use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. Thanks, Handspring. Hi, everyone. Whitney Lowe here, and welcome to The Thinking Practitioner. I'm uh, here today with Diana Thompson. I have a special guest with me while Till is on the road in Europe. So I'm going to have a great conversation with uh, Diana Thompson, and we're going to delve into a number of uh, things that I think are going to be uh, great discussions for looking at the role of massage in the healthcare system today. So Diana, welcome, and uh, welcome to The Thinking Practitioner, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for asking me. It's great to be here. Good. Hey, uh, let's take just a brief moment at the outset here. Um, you and I have known each other for quite a while. I was trying to think the other day of like, when did we first meet? And I, I don't know, but sometime back in the 90s, I think it was, uh, yes. relatively early on in the days of uh, the first editions of your book, Hands Heal. But for those people who are not as familiar with your path, uh, tell us a little bit about your background uh, um, and how you sort of got into what you're doing and where you are today. Great. I'd love to. Um, I have been practicing massage therapy since 1979. Um, I became licensed in Washington State in 84 and uh, immediately started working with acute and traumatic injuries. I um, was in a couple of car accidents myself and met a chiropractor and my life changed a lot and massage therapy really helped me take care of myself. And um, I learned to work with car accidents right away. So I met an attorney, I met a chiropractor, I started working with physical therapists down the street. And from there, I just started creating courses on treating injuries. And along with that, with car accidents in particular, comes a certain amount of litigation. So I was doing depositions and expert witness testimony. And I thought, you know, people don't know how to do this. Massage therapists aren't keeping records and learning how to testify and defend their use of massage therapy in traumatic injuries. So I wrote Hands Heal. And Hands Heal, the first edition came out in 1993. And we might have met at that first teacher's conference yeah, but, in Seattle uh, in 93. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know if you were there, but I think that's where we first met. Yeah, and that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So from there, it just turned into um, 
consulting on research regarding information gathering for massage therapy, what's appropriate, what kind of measures are important for showing progress. Then I became a board member for the Massage Therapy Research Foundation and had four lovely years as president and um, then started writing another book on pain. So um, that book came out, gosh, more recently. Um, and, you know, once things started to really change in healthcare, I became very active on panels and working with the uh, insurance commissioner on getting our every category provider law up. So it, it was kind of this steamroll effect. Once you get into healthcare, you got exposed to a great deal of other types of healthcare practitioners and policy discussions, legal discussions, those kinds of things. So I've had a very rich and rewarding um, career as a massage therapist. It's been great. Yeah, so I want to touch base on a couple of things that you mentioned there. Uh, let me backtrack just a little bit. Um, first off, just recently you mentioned uh, the every category of provider concept in Washington, and there probably are quite a number of people around the country who may not be familiar with what that is. And to me, this is one of the most progressive um, policies that we have in the country around the use of massage and the as a part of the healthcare system. Can you elaborate a little bit and sort of define that for everyone about what that's uh, what is involved with that? Yeah, the every category of provider law says that every insurance company has to offer at least one plan that covers every licensed healthcare provider um, as long as they're operating within their scope of practice. So if someone is going for rehabilitation and they want to go to a massage therapist or an acupuncturist or a chiropractor or um, any of the alternative healthcare or now uh, complementary healthcare providers, they can. They have that ability to do so if they have chosen the plan that includes um, complementary care. And so to me, this is just really um, both radical and very innovative and uh, quite astonishing that that happened just because yeah. we've had so many difficulties everywhere else. So how, you know, for someone who's not in Washington state, can you give some, maybe some uh, background or, or ideas like how does a state go about getting something like that done. Lots of people have been trying to, you know, move massage therapy or soft tissue manual therapy, whatever your practice is, more into the healthcare system. How did you pull that off in Washington as, as a group? You know, it was really interesting. It was actually done by our insurance commissioner. She was hearing feedback from the people in Washington that they now, wanted was this, access. Uh, was this Deborah Sen? It was. It was Deborah yeah. Sen. Okay. Uh -huh. And Lori Bolinsky, a massage therapist at the time. Uh, well, she's still a massage therapist. Um, and this was in 1996 that we started getting together and um, putting, uh, she put together this committee and we started meeting to create this possibility for an every category provider law. 
Um, but Lori Belinsky was a massage therapist working for Deborah Sun, and she in particular was working with women's health and um, the lack of access to midwifery and naturopathy for um, pregnancy and other uh, female health conditions. And that was the start of it, actually, was about women's health. Um, and from there, we, uh, we, the proverbial we, the group, uh -huh. yeah. came together. And it consisted of uh, everything from massage therapists to podiatrists. They really felt like they were pushed out of the medical field. Um, but it was acupuncturists, naturopaths, midwives, um, massage therapists. Who else was it? I think it was just a lovely group. Of so you people. really had a cohesive sort of coalition that was working on trying to make that happen. It wasn't just the massage therapy group then that was doing that alone. That's correct. And that was an important part of it because a lot of those other groups have strong lobbies and um, can dedicate a great deal of um, legal clout when it comes to legislative efforts. Um, and there was just, there were a lot more needs for people than just massage therapy. I think it's, it's harder to go about it if you're operating alone. So we need to be um, very friendly with our, our neighbors in other disciplines. Yes, for sure. So now with all of the, I mean, we've seen, of course, very dramatic changes in the healthcare system in this country over the last several years. And it seems like right now it's just a, a rocking boat with all kinds of tumult in it. And that policy or position with the every category of provider has seems to have weathered the storm a bit. Is it still um, uh, a part of the, the regular system there in Washington? Yes. And it's only getting bigger. Um, uh -huh. And I also, I don't know if people know this, but the person who helped write the every category of provider law for us worked on it for the Obamacare, that there's actually a very similar clause in um, the Affordable Care Act that declares this for the entire country. Now, because there have been, what, 58 lawsuits filed against um, Obamacare and that it's still being fought over, and so many insurance companies aren't abiding by what's in there, but um, there is an every category of provider clause in Obamacare. So if someday in the somewhat distant future, everything kind of gets settled out with that particular health care law, this is something that then could be enacted or activated throughout the rest of the country. Is that correct? Yes. And what was that? Um, I know there was a, what is the number of, or the policy section? There was, I uh, hear reference to that, and people may hear reference to that periodically. What uh, is that part of the section that's in the uh, Affordable Care Act? 2706. 2706. Remember that number. That's an important number about that policy section in there. Right. There were several of us from Washington State who have gone to meetings and conventions and worn our 2706 buttons and All right. really yeah. tried to push the attention in that direction because yeah. it's so important for us to know that this exists. So one of the things that I wanted to just 
say, and, and part of this is because I've been um, a watcher of you for many years and know how much you have given of yourself and your time with dedication, um, I, I think this is just a, a really important illustration of why it's important for people to be active and to be aware of things that are going on within our field because you and the other people who participated in this process made huge, huge advances for the field that allowed uh, other people to have all kinds of opportunities for making massage more accessible as a healthcare option for people. And that's uh, something I think we have a real struggle with sometimes is trying to, to get people involved in this process and see that you can actually make a difference. Yes, you can. Absolutely. I, I am really big on volunteering. I think the more you can do even on a little teeny basis the more you can put yourself out there and just start showing up the more that can get done it's it's really important that we give back to our profession and make it more accessible yeah um, to yeah. everybody and i want to also call back to something that you were saying in your early description of your um initial background and work in this field you had said that you know you got involved with doing a, a lot of acute care things and began working with some insurance companies and realizing that we had very little training or you know uh, skills and capabilities in dealing with the documentation that was necessary for um, the insurance industry and i know a lot of that sort of led to your the development of the Hands Heal book and your emphasis on soap charting. So uh, I'm curious, like, how did you learn all of those things? And uh, tell me a little bit more about why you feel like this is so important, because a lot of massage therapists and other manual therapy practitioners are taught some basics of charting and documentation in school, but it also seems like a lot of people forget those things or don't use them a lot. And and I think it's really important. And I just want to you know hear a little bit about how you got going with that and why you think it's so important. Well, on a very basic level, I believe that massage therapy is healthcare. Even when we're doing wellness massage, we're improving relaxation and reducing stress, which makes a big difference in the complications that go with life and um, that chronically kind of creep up and become issues. And if we're healthcare providers, we should be documenting our sessions. And that's, to me, a very basic rule of thumb. Every healthcare provider charts every session that they have. You wouldn't ever go to a doctor and for an annual physical and they say, hey, you're so healthy, I don't have to chart this session. So, right. yeah. and we do that all the time. Um, and I, it's, it's one of my reasons, raison d'etre in life, to really make sure that massage therapists are charting their sessions, even on a very basic, basic level. And to help make that happen, I felt like it was really important for me to educate people on, you know, what's minimally necessary and what do you absolutely need to do if you're going to be billing insurance or um, working with physician referrals uh, to make sure that you're covering yourself. And, you know, it's everything from um, what you did in the session to what you found, what assessments um, you did and the results of those, but also what you didn't do because all of the uh, malpractice suits that I've 
consulted on have to do with somebody not paying attention to a condition and doing something that was um, inappropriate in that case. So that's, you know, that's an interesting thing that a lot of massage therapists and other manual therapy practitioners probably don't think about a lot because it's something that doesn't happen with great frequency. But you had mentioned that you've been involved with some expert witness testimony and some legal facets of these things. What are some of the potential things that may happen or that you have seen happen that um, are potential dangers or concerns that, that really people should be aware of, of why the the documentation and record keeping is so important. Yeah, it's um, I I've looked at a lot of research on incidences where massage has done harm, and for the most part, it's an incredibly safe um, modality to use. And bruising is probably the most common one, or burns from hot stones or hot packs or ice mm-hmm. packs. Um, and the ones that are much more serious are ones that impinge nerves or break fragile bones. And, um, those are things I think we need to be very cautious of when we're working with them. Um, now that I'm talking about this, I'm not sure that that's really the question you asked. So... Well, no, I mean, I think that's that's really getting at it. Like a lot of these things are, are things that maybe practitioners don't really think about that I might be doing something that could potentially be that dangerous or that harmful for, for people. And I think the reality that uh, some people need to recognize is that, you know, a lot of times these things actually, massage is not benign. There are potential problems and, you know, adverse events that can occur, uh, even under some relatively normal circumstances. And that's why... Um, I, you know, I th- think it is very important that we um, document and keep records and pay attention to what we're doing with the, the uh, both evaluation and treatment processes that we're going through so that we can have good records about this if something were to happen that would be an adverse event. Yes. And so to think of some um, cases where charting saved someone's butt, let's say, um, there was a cup there were a couple of cases where people said that they got care and they never really even got care like at a fair um, uh-huh. health fair or a music fair they didn't sign in they didn't um, sign anything at all they just sat down in the chair and got a massage or said that they did and nobody can remember working on them but there's no proof either way. Another one where the person um, did not sign the health intake part. So there was a list of things that were contraindicated and he saw what he had on there, refused to sign it, got the massage and sure enough um, was made worse by the massage. And the massage therapist didn't check to make sure that they had signed that, didn't go over anything with them. So um, sometimes even those little oversights. Um, There's another situation where the massage therapist said they got all of the, or the patient said they got all of these symptoms after getting massage, but on their intake form, they had said that they had all of these symptoms going into seeing this massage therapist. So the massage therapist was off the hook entirely. 
Mm. So charting can save you and charting can sink you if it's not right. there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, something else comes to mind here is, you know, Till and I were having a discussion about this in um, our previous episode when we were talking about some of the big challenges that face the profession. And I was uh, talking about the sort of split personality of our profession being, mm. you know, part of it that's focused on healthcare and part of it that's focused on the sort of uh, personal care side of it, the more wellness oriented approaches. But if you take another um, look at a relatively big sector of occupation now in our field is something like the the chains, the massage chains that are around and people who are there. I mean, they're seeing a lot of clients and doing a lot of massages in that environment. How do you encourage or, or anything that you would say to people who work in that chain environment and say, well, I don't have time to write notes and take documents on because they, you know, they book me back to back to back. I don't have time to take care of this. Um, and they're not necessarily seeing themselves predominantly as healthcare providers. Anything you would say to people in that environment about the importance of the documentation and record keeping? Well, I think the first thing I would like to say is it can be super fast and easy. And you could have a checkbox system for charting that's really specific to the chain. So if you've got X, Y, and Z types of services that you offer and the client fills out the intake form before they even come in, there's really something to this electronic health record keeping that's so beneficial. Um, some of them you can even dictate into. So you could just say a couple of sentences into the device that you've got. You could do it into your phone on a lot of these and get something recorded. And that's all you need. I mean, really in a healthy client situation, you just need an intake that gives you enough information to know what your contraindications or precautions might be. And you just need to say what you did, where you did it, for how long. That's that's really the basic type of charting. So you're, what you're saying, really, it can be a lot simpler than many people think. It doesn't have to be a long, complex process. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, we're going to take a little break here for just a moment to hear a message from our halftime sponsor. And then when we come back, I want to delve into the same subject a little bit more and have you uh, talk about some of these issues you brought up here with electronic uh, health records, because I, I know this is something that's uh, near and dear to your heart here. So we'll be back in a moment and hear some more about that. Okay, great. Books of Discovery might be best known for producing Trail Guide to the Body, but we're also a whole lot more. We bring you the clinical learning tools you need to inform your intentional body work. Check out our kinesiology, pathology, and A&P texts. They not only build the foundation upon which great educators like Till and Whitney rely, but will also support you through your entire career. Books of Discovery is proud to support the thinking practitioner and are offering a 15% discount when a listener enters thinking at the booksofdiscovery.com checkout page. Enjoy the show. So tell me a little bit about this um, Hands Heal electronic health record that you're working on now. This is uh, sort of seems like it's a natural evolution out of the print version of the book and the, the sort of the paper record keeping and documentation process that was certainly around in the 90s when you got started on the book. But now, you know, everything has evolved to being 
digital and computer-based in so many places. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what this uh, project is about that you're working on now. Yeah, it's really, um, it's been a lot of fun and very exciting for me. And as soon as there was the conversation about charting being electronic charting, being mandatory for healthcare providers, any healthcare provider that works with Medicaid or Medicare is how it started. And so let me pause right there because I think a lot of people don't probably have a good understanding of what an electronic health record is. Can you explain a little bit about, you know, this is more than just writing notes on your computers. What What is an electronic health record? Yeah, it's, um, thanks for asking that. I think when you're in it and you, you can't see it with fresh eyes. So yeah. That's a good right. question. Yeah. Um, an electronic health record, I, I, you know, part of me wants to go way, way back to when computers were huge, um, but I won't. Um, I love getting into all that stuff, so we'll I talk know. about that some other time. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it consists of everything that has to do with that person's health, and it needs to be portable and accessible to the client. So with HIPAA rules, we haven't talked about HIPAA yet, but HIPAA mandates that uh, every customer, every consumer, client, patient has to have access to their medical health records. And, um, and there has to be good communication between providers so that there is less duplication of um, treatments or tests and we're not spending so much money on healthcare since we have one of the most um, cost inefficient healthcare systems in the world. So um, electronic health records became mandatory to help make all of these mandates come to fruition. And so you'll find everything from um, intake forms to test results to communications between providers to communications between providers and the patients, as well as your um, treatment records and any bills or communications with insurance companies. And a lot of insurance companies are also requiring electronic submissions. So you may have found that you hire someone to do your billing for them and you send them all this paper. Well, they turn it into a digital format and send it digitally to the insurance companies. So mm -hmm. you may think you're not digital, but you might be digital. Somewhere down the road. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. Which, so how does your hands heal um, EHR, electronic health record, fit into that picture? Yeah. So having written books about it for decades, I wanted to get up to speed and make sure that people have access to an electronic health record system that is not just about scheduling and marketing, but it's really about teaching you how to document things really well and letting people have the flexibility that they need to have based on the different styles of work that they do, because not all of us work the same. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and to make it educational in the point of, you know, having tutorials that really teach people how to chart and teach schools um, how to teach charting. So having been in the educational realm for most of my career, um, education is super important that people can't chart well unless they know what's expected of them. And the other thing that I think is ex extremely, extremely important is having good measures and being in the research fields, you know, having enough experience there, I know what research measures are typically used in these studies so that we can start looking at data that can show how massage is effective and um, what kinds of reasons people are going to see their massage therapist. So I wanted an educational system and I wanted a system that can download research and contribute to the knowledge base of the profession and other integrative healthcare um, professionals so that they can see the effectiveness of massage therapy. So that sounds like it's uh, really got huge potential in terms of uh, being both a, a data repository about information that's in there without necessarily, of course, you know, taking somebody's individual personal information, but you will be able to gather a lot of information about what's being done with um, different types of massage and, and really maybe that might be the basis of a, of a good bit of additional research that might come out of that. Absolutely. We, we could de-identify and collect any of the data in there, but most importantly, the measurement tools are consistent and um, can be easily collated to um, using research. So it would just take a research person to come in with a, a good IRB, some approval um, that, of how they're going to use the data. Mm -hmm. That's acceptable, and um, and they can put together a study of just about anything that's within the system. Yeah, and then you're also trying to uh, maybe have this be part of, of what the schools are using for help, helping to teach some of their students about documentation, true? Is that is that also correct? Yeah, because this really starts in the schools. If we're not teaching, yeah. charting, and mentoring charting. I think one of the biggest issues that I saw when going across the country to teach charting is that the teachers themselves weren't charting in their own practices. Yeah. And so if they're not doing that, how can they be good role models for exactly. charting? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I thought, well, the least I could do is teach them how to teach charting. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then maybe they'll see the benefit of it and start doing it themselves. That's my hope. Yeah. So let me shift gears here a little bit. Um, you also mentioned again in your uh, early description of a lot of uh, the work that you did early on in sort of uh, acute care conditions and dealing with a lot of uh, injuries and pain problems. And you recently um, were uh, produced a book um, on integrative pain management that brought together perspectives of quite a number of different people in there. And uh, I was curious, uh, what were some of the key things that you learned um, on that project? Because there's been such a lot of um, both emphasis and um, controversy and a lot of things going on right now with the, with the topic of, of pain management and, and pain science in the, the soft tissue manual therapy world. 
Yeah, it's a huge topic. And I'm really sorry that it took the opioid epidemic to um, make sure that on a policy level and on a, an access level that we have to talk about reducing pain meds and integrating complementary care that can do a great job in a lot of cases with pain. Yeah. Um, there were 23 authors really fascinating to work at that level. And um, I learned in particular, I created a couple of surveys for the uh, authors to do. One was for their patients and one was for the referring caregivers that sent them patients. So two surprising results. 100% of the referrals came to those particular therapists. Most of them were massage therapists uh, because the referring caregiver physician um, naturopath, acupuncturist. We had several different varieties uh, because they had gotten a session themselves. And to me, that says a lot about our profession that doesn't make me really happy. It's like, it's like people don't say, hey, I want you to go see my gastroenterologist because she did a great job for my colon and oh my gosh, you know, you just, you don't behave that way with other healthcare providers, but you tend mm -hmm. to with massage as a physician or other healthcare providers. So um, that says that we're not getting the word out enough that we're not writing our reports. Um, so you're saying this is something that the other the other healthcare professionals aren't enough aware about massage to be referring uh, their patients to massage? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, and I blame us. I it's mm -hmm. in part the research because they also said, well, there's not enough research. Or I referred to massage, but I don't get any feedback but my clients really want it. And so I went and got a massage from them. And so I decided to keep referring. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that was really interesting was the number of people who did self-care. And I think that when people are dedicated enough to find their own integrative healthcare provider um, to find a massage therapist, to go to a massage therapist, sometimes even when their healthcare provider doesn't send them or uh, give them a prescription for it or highly recommend them, they'll find them themselves. And so they end up doing their self-care really diligently. And so that's something that I want to encourage all of us to make sure that we talk to people about that self-care is so important and that the people that come to see us will actually really do it. So that's key. The other thing, we had a, a research sidebar in the book, and it seems like the best research results come from a combination of massage, movement, and mindfulness. Uh -huh. and those yeah. are all three things that we can incorporate into our practices. They're all within our scope. And um, many of us do movement in a massage session. And it's easy to encourage people to walk. 
um, or do really simple things that will help them get out. People get isolated when they're in pain. Um, and that's a problem because the more isolated they, be they become, the less movement they do. And it's a vicious downward cycle. And it's also really easy to give people tips on how to relax. So in a session, we might talk to them about breathing. We might play soft music. We dim the lights. You know, we're really creating a situation where they can relax and be more mindful about what it is that we're doing. And those are all key features in um, helping people with pain that, that, really came home for me with that book. Yeah, well, it was. Uh, I, I really liked the book. I think it was a great compilation of, of perspectives and individuals that you brought together to do that. So um, I would encourage people to, to, to uh, take a look. And for those that don't know, uh, what's, what's the name of the book, Diana? Integrative Pain Management, Massage, Movement, and Mindfulness-Based Approaches. All right, great. One other thing I wanted to just touch base on, because we've talked about this a little bit too here, and uh, Till and I mentioned this uh, in one of our previous uh, podcast episodes too about the the role of soft tissue manual therapy, regardless of you know whether that's a massage therapist or a rolfer person doing a variety of different things, uh, integrating this into the healthcare system. Many people see um, insurance reimbursement as a, a sort of a ticket in there because that does seem to be some part of the gatekeeping process for for massage or these other methods to be accepted as a healthcare profession. I'm just curious, since you've been involved with this for so long, what do you see as some of the key pros and cons of the soft tissue manual therapists pursuing uh, insurance reimbursement for, for our work? Yeah, that's a great question because there's such a wide divide between the pros and the cons. Yeah. Uh, the pros, of course, are access. Um, people deserve to have access to massage. People need massage. Um, and we can learn so much by seeing people who have conditions like pain, whether it's chronic or acute, because what we do has an immediate effect. And yeah. we can really learn a lot about how to be a better massage therapist. Um the cons, of course, are reimbursement rates. It's really insane how our reimbursement rates have continued to go down. We, uh -huh. we used yeah. to get a lot more money um, from insurance billing. A couple of things happened. Some people took um, advantage of that and started charging a lot more for billing insurance than they did for people who still had injuries that you were working with, but paid cash. Um, and uh, that's, that can be a problem. I've known people that had to pay back thousands and thousands of dollars for, um, wow. yeah, for fraud in billing. Uh-huh. And two in particular, one was really recent just this year. And one was a few years ago. And another one was about 15 years ago. So, you know, it happens. Um, what's interesting, especially about having the every category provider law in, in Washington, it allowed for some really good data to be collected. And what they found was that uh, people spent less money on healthcare 
when they were receiving massage therapy for their conditions. Oh, really? Yeah, that all the fears that came uh, about as a result of implementing the Every Category of Provider Clause never came to fruition. However, it started this spiral of insurance companies being afraid and reducing the reimbursement rates before it even went into effect. And the same thing is happening with Obamacare. When the every category provider clause, they don't call it that in Obamacare, but it's just Mm -hmm. like that, went into that insurance companies started decreasing in reimbursement rates again. And so they're using it as a reactive way to say, hey, we know we're going to have to pay out a lot more. So let's just start paying less and maybe people will get out of the network. And that's happening. People are leaving the networks right and left in Washington state. And some actually are using that to negotiate with insurance companies to get better rates. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of that catch 22 of how do we get better rates and what does it take to get them? And it takes really shrinking the market so that people are clamoring for their. And it seems, you know, in some of the discussions that I've heard too among insurance company um, people who are concerned about what was going to happen if massage was included. It's, you know, th- this idea that massage and there are, there are some other types of um, um, interventions that, that are like this, but massage certainly is, is one of them that fits at the top of the list, is that there aren't a whole lot of medical procedures that people get that they actually like to get. Yeah. And there's a lot of concern about um, abuse of that system because people would potentially, you know, say, oh, I, hey, I need to get a lot more massage than the prescription maybe allotted for or something like that. But yeah. it certainly seems like there are some ways around that that could maybe alleviate some of the fears and concerns the insurance companies have, especially if there's some data data now that's pointing in the direction of it. This is actually reducing overall health care costs. Yes. Um, and one of them is... Um benefit limits. And yes, uh-huh. so you could still pay massage therapists a living wage and um, implement limits. There's another thing going on with some of these um, home health networks where um, they pay you more based on results. So they have you keep very specific uh, measures pre and post session and over time. And if you can get good results in a shorter amount of time, they pay you more. That's a yeah, a uh-huh. new one that's come out. So, you know, they're, they'll think of creative ways, but I'm just really pleased with some of the <clears throat> publications. Pardon me. Yeah, there's some really great articles um, that have been published that support massage therapy in um, pain management, like the Health and Human Services Pain Task Force final report um, mentions the important role of massage therapy. Um, There's another one with the Medicare Advantage final call letter that specifically includes massage therapy provided by a state licensed massage therapist. That was great that they put that in there because some insurance companies say, oh, we cover massage, but you just have to be a nurse or a physician to provide it. 
Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and then other attorney generals of different states have created um, pain management plans. Uh, Washington is one. West Virginia is another one um, that have specifically included massage therapy as an alternative to opioids. Um, the Department of Defense has put massage therapy into their um, um, Oh, what do they call it? Their strategic plan. And that went in a last year, I believe. So that's really great. I think that one is huge because that is, uh, isn't that, I think, the country's largest healthcare system or something like that. Um, it is at least close to that, if not. And it, I think that's very, both a significant development and a great opportunity and potential danger zone also for us in this field if it's not done right uh, yes. it could really get we could really mess it up yes and they've started to hire massage therapists just in 2019 mm -hmm. and um i'm currently working with a group that helps train the massage therapists to work with vets so i think that's a really critical thing like you say that being really prepared to work with that population is important because it's it's a it, it's a much, it's a population in much need of good care. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Diana, thank you. I want to thank you so much for your time today and for uh, this delving uh, inside look into the world of of, uh, health, of massage and other soft tissue interventions in our healthcare system because it's uh, certainly I know you and I both believe this to be a, a pathway that's got so many tremendous opportunities for all of us. And I, I want to thank you on behalf of, of everybody in this field for all the work you've done over the years and the things that you continue to do to move us in that direction. No, oh, thank you so much. Well, you um, have done a great deal as well. So uh, you're a hero to me. All right, good. Well, we have a mutual admiration society. That's there, right. So. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, thank you again for being here today. And I'd like to also say thank you to our sponsors for helping to sponsor the show. And if you'd like to stop by the uh, site for show notes, uh, credits, and updates and extras about what we have available there, you can find our show listed over at thethinkingpractitioner.com. And uh, Till's site is advanced-trainings.com. And you can also find uh, information from me at the academyofclinicalmassage.com. And uh, questions, if you'd like to give us comments, questions, or anything you'd like to give us with information and things you want to hear, uh, just drop us an email line over to info at thethinkingpractitioner.com, or you can also find either one of us on social media there. And uh, if you would, um, please make sure to um, stop over if you'd like to and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to be listening and uh, share it with a friend. And we thank you very much for listening and thank you for your time. So, uh, Diana, thanks for being here today and we'll talk again here soon. Well, it's great to be with everyone. Thank you. Okay. All right.